I have something on my heart tonight that I want to uh, want to share uh, with you. And I got a couple of different passages I want to read from, and uh, I want to start in the New Testament and actually go to the Old Testament. It's a little bit reversed, but I believe this will make more sense. So if you have your Bibles, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, while you're finding that, thank you so much for coming out tonight and um, being in the house of the Lord. Uh, what, a, what a great joy uh, it is to have you tonight. I pray the Lord do something in your life and your heart uh, that makes it worthwhile tonight. Amen. I believe we could already say it has been, right? His presence, His power, His spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, I want to begin reading at verse number 3. 2 Corinthians 10, verse number 3. And uh, yeah, you can stand if you want to for the reading of God's Word. I'll try to do it quickly. Uh, but uh, 2 Corinthians 10, beginning at verse number 3. Paul's writing here, and this is what he said. He said, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Turn to your neighbor and just tell him we need to pull it down. Pull it down. Casting down imaginations. Casting down imaginations. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, against what you know about God. There are things that will come into your life that will try to exalt itself against that, against what you know to be true about God. But he said, cast down those things and cast down every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought, every thought, don't let one get away. Don't let one go astray. Get every thought, bring it to the obedience of Christ. And I want you to turn to the Old Testament. I want to look at a passage in 2 Samuel chapter 18. And I know the, 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 the context of this story, and I don't want to do it injustice, or, but there's principles here of something the Lord showed me that I, I, I have to share and 2 Samuel chapter 18, Absalom, David's son, he's, he's rebelling against David. He's dividing the kingdom. He's, he's doing all sorts of things. And it's come a time where David's going to send out after uh, Absalom. But I want you to notice carefully what happens because I'm going to bring some things out of this tonight that I believe is really, really going to uh, leave an impact in us, really going to help us. 2 Samuel 18 Look at verse number 4. I'm sorry, uh, verse number 5. This is what he said. Once David divided up the, 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 the troops to go out, it says this in verse 5, And the king commanded Joab and Abishai and Idai, which were the, the three captains sort of, of, the, of the, the troops that he was sending out. The king commanded them saying this, Deal gently for my sake with the young man. Even with that, in other words, the king said, David's the king, the king said, Deal gent, do not harm him. Do not harm the young man, even Absalom. And all the people heard when the king gave all the captains charge concerning Absalom. Now drop down to verse number 9. 
And it says, And Absalom met the servants of David. And Absalom rode upon a mule, and the mule went under the thick bows or boughs of a great oak, the branches of a great oak, and his head caught hold of the oak, and he was taken up between the heaven and the earth, and the mule that was under him went away. And a certain man saw it and told Joab and said, Behold, I saw Absalom hanged in an oak. And Joab said to the man that told him, he said, Behold, thou sawest him, and why didst not thou smite them him there to the ground? And I would have given you ten shekels of silver and a girdle. If only I'd been there, I could have got a girdle. Anyway. And the man said unto Joab, some of y'all get that later, Though I should receive a thousand shekels of silver in mine hand, Yet would I not put forth mine hand against the king's son. For in our hearing the king charged thee and Abishai and Idai, saying, Beware that none touch the young. In other words, bring him back alive is what he said. Otherwise I should have wrought falsehood against mine own life, for there is no matter hid from the king, and thou thyself would have set thyself against me. Then said Joab, I may not tarry thus. In other words, I ain't got time to hear your excuses. Watch this. And he took three darts in his hand and thrust them through the heart of Absalom while he was yet alive in the midst of the oak. And ten young men that bare Joab's armor compassed about and smote Absalom and slew him. And the first part of chapter of verse 16 says, And Joab blew the trumpet. And Joab blew the trumpet. I, I want to talk to you just for a little bit tonight on this subject. I want to talk to you about vulnerable hearts and deadly darts. Vulnerable hearts and deadly darts. As Absalom hung, Joab took three darts, thrust them through his heart. And I want to talk to us about a vulnerable heart and deadly darts. Father, would you help us tonight? Give us utterance in the Holy Ghost. Let us speak as the oracles of God. Let me speak your word, O God, that which you put in my heart and on my heart, and even give revelation while we're going and while we're speaking and while we're gathered here. Give us revelation. Because, Lord, there is a satanic scheme and a demonic ploy out to keep your people from believing and receiving and even to destroy us. For the Bible said, you said, Jesus, yourself, that the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. But we recognize him. and We are not ignorant of his devices, but we're ready to move into what you said you came to do to give life, abundant life, and so, Lord, would you help us tonight, O oh God, to hear your word. And, Father, may it be received, may it change us, may it touch us in deep places. Father, we'll honor you tonight. We ask it in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said amen and amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand. Amen. We love you, Lord. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. Vulnerable hearts. Vulnerable hearts and deadly darts. You don't have to live very long to realize that life is full of challenges. Life is full of challenges. 
And some find it shocking to, to come to, to grips with this truth that even when you live for Jesus, it didn't take you long living for Jesus to realize that being saved does not eliminate or eradicate those challenges. You now have greater resources to which you can combat those things, but the challenges remain. Anybody had challenges in your life, even in your saved life? Challenges, uh, uh, attacks, if you will, problems, difficulties. Uh, And so being saved does not eliminate those. Uh, We only have now maybe uh, we recognize uh, them for what they are and we recognize our greater resources to come against them and to withstand them, but they still exist. Challenges still exist. And I would even suggest to you that for the believer, the nature of the challenges now changes. Or maybe we recognize its nature for what it really is. That all the time, how many knows that, that, that we recognize even maybe for the first time uh, in our saved life that there's a spiritual nature to the challenges that we face. And, and there's a satanic element in many of the things that, that come against us and present uh, themselves in those challenges. How many knows that Satan is at the root of everything evil? Come on, God doesn't do evil. God doesn't do bad things. God doesn't do destructive things in the sense of of, of destroying good. God does not destroy people's lives. That's the devil's handiwork. We We need to make sure we're not blaming God for things that God didn't do. Make sure we put the blame where the blame lies and so we can stand united and, 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 and come against the enemy. But, but as believers, this is what Peter said. You have to do what? You have to be sober and be vigilant because our adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. In other words, we must be on guard. We, we must be on guard at all times. That's tough. That's tough at all times. Because if you're not on guard, the Bible says in Proverbs 4.23, one of my favorite verses, keep your heart, guard your heart with all diligence. With all diligence, be diligent to guard your heart. Why? For out of it flow the issues of life. Out of your heart. In other words, it's about the heart. Ultimately, it's about your heart. Amen. It's not about your family. It's about your heart. It's not about your money. It's about your heart. It's not about your job. It's about your heart. It's not about your health. It's about your heart. He's after your heart. So guard your heart. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, guard your heart. Guard. You got to watch your heart. You got to watch your heart. And and so we got to be on guard at all times. And that's a challenge because the enemy is subtle. He's crafty. He's cunning. And and he will come when you do not expect it. He'll come when you least expect it and the challenge the challenge not only is is understanding that but the challenge is also making sure that you're you're able to put up the proper resistance when you do recognize him because it's one thing to be blindsided you know it's one thing to be blindsided it's one thing to it's another thing though to know that the enemy is involved in this ploy and then we respond with the proper resistance needed to overcome him. So it's one thing to be blindsided, but, but we have a choice. We can either 
We can either sit there, we can either lay there, we can either die there, or we can say, you know what, I'm not going to take this laying down. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get up and push back and put some resistance to what's coming against me. I'm not just going to accept it, and I'm not just going to take it. I'm going to make sure that I'm pushing back. The Bible said this, that Ephesians 4, 27, I believe it is, or 26, 27, says, neither give place to the devil. Don't give him an inch. Don't give him any place. Don't give him it. Not just don't give him your place. Don't give him any place. It's not just saying don't give him the couch. It's saying don't let him in the door. Right? Don't let him in the door. Don't, don't, listen, if you see him walking up your driveway, you, you better get to your door and you better start telling him you have no place here. This is my problem. I'm telling you, if you recognize him, if you see him, give no place, no place to the devil. Do not allow him an inch. You know the, the old saying, give him an inch, he'll take a mile. And that, that's, that's true even in our thoughts. It's not just in what we live out. It's, 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 it's what we allow ourselves to think and dwell on. And, and, and so here's the battle. Here's, here's the, the real test. Is, is where do we let our head go? Where do we let our head go? I'm, I'm, I'm going somewhere. I know where I'm going. If y'all stay on the bus, we'll get there together. Don't jump off the bus. Even in our thoughts, we cannot give him an inch. If you give him, listen, if you give him mind space, he'll use what little space you give him as a way of establishing a stronghold. Can I say it like this? A stronghold begins with a toehold, and he'll increase it to a foothold. Then he'll make it a stronghold. In other words, his work is progressive. He doesn't come in all the time just trying to absolutely work a stronghold in your life. He'll just, if you can just get a little sliver. If he can get just a little place. Come on. If he can pinch your pinky toe. Come on, somebody. If he can just, if you'll just give him a toehold. If, you, if you'll just give him that. He's like, oh, well, you know, well, everybody's got stuff they got to deal with. Yeah, but it'll affect your walk. Because if, if you was pinching my pinky toe, first of all, don't mess with my feet because I can't stand people messing with my feet. But <laughs> when he can tell you that, I have my feet propped up sometimes. She'll come by and she It's been dangerous. But, but if I had somebody right now pinching my, I mean, pinching my, I mean, it's going to affect the way I walk. Right? If they grab my foot, it's a greater effect. If they, if they, I mean, a stronghold, it's a greater effect. You see, it increased. So you don't give him any place. You don't even give him a toehold because a stronghold begins as a toehold, becomes a foothold, and then becomes a stronghold. Like an oak tree begins with an acorn. It begins with a seed thought. And a lot of times, the hold that he tries to get on starts with the appearance of a circumstance or even our emotions about the appearance of a circumstance, about information we're getting and, and things of that nature, such as a diagnosis, a thought of death or demise or major suffering or a downgrade in, 
in quality of life. Or perhaps it's a financial instability. And, you, and all of a sudden the devil's saying, I mean, you know, maybe it's a layoff. And the devil says what? You're going to lose your house. Can't pay your bills. Come on, am I the only one that's been through this? I mean, he, ju- just, just, a, just a little. Well, you going to college, you ain't going to get no job. Ain't no jobs out there. You wasting your time. Come on. All kinds of, I mean, just trying to get a toehold, trying to plant a seed thought. Maybe it's a relational show. Maybe it's a wayward child. Yeah, so-and-so's child, they got saved. They got saved. Yours, your t- mm. Yours is way too far. Way too hard against God. Way too hard against the gospel. Way too callous. They, they, it just ain't going to happen. And that seed thought, if we entertain it. See, he, so it's what Satan does. He, try, he seeks to get in your head and cause your mind to imagine the worst case scenario. See, but here's what Jesus said in John 8, 44, that the devil is a liar and the father of it. The one, the one thing that we know for certain that Satan has fathered is every lie. Every lie he has fathered. Now watch. So, so he is a liar and he only paints pictures with dark colors. Yeah. No brightness. No, 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 unless he's trying to lead you into sin. Then he'll paint pretty pictures but he don't tell you that it, at the end of it it's dark. And, and, and so, so he only paints a dark color. He'll feed you lies. And if you bite, he can hook you in a moment of time. So he seeks a toehold, then a foothold. And before long, he'll form a stronghold. So here's what a stronghold is to me. And I'm, I'm, I'm using 2 Corinthians 10. Because he starts talking about pulling down strongholds, and then he, right after that he says, casting down imaginations. So if we're pulling down strongholds, he's talking about casting down imaginations. It's, it, it has to do with our minds, with our thoughts. It has to do with our heads. So here to me is a definition. You might have a better one. You might have a different one. That's fine. But a stronghold is a lie that is regarded as true. It is a lie that you have embraced as true. You won't ever get well. You'll, you'll get, you, you, you may have improved, but, but, but perfect health is not going to come back to you. And so you embrace it. All of a sudden, it's a lie that you've embraced as a truth. And that, so then when the preacher preaches or God moves or God, God says, stops the service and says, God wants to bring healing to someone's life, you automatically say, well, it's not me because I'm just going to deal with this the rest of my life. Because a stronghold has been formed because you've entertained and you've accepted a lie. Oh, man. Hello, lights. Amen. Oh, C.G. Slaughter, I don't know why I just thought of him. He'd say it's tight, but it's right. Amen. You see, see, many, many times our greatest battles are internal and are waged most intensely in our mind. Now, I'm not going to ask for a volunteer. But if I, was to, if I was to grab you by your arm, you still got some leverage. You can, you can kind of push back. If, if, I was, if I was to push you in the chest, you can still use your, use your feet kind of as. But if I got a good enough hold on your head, 
I mean, if I locked you into a headlock that you couldn't get out of, and I got you around the throat, and anybody want to volunteer? No, I'm just kidding. Then, then you're going to pretty much go wherever I want you to go. I can kind of control you. And, and, and that's the way the enemy tries of, 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 of getting in our head. He wants to get our head because if he can get your head, watch, if Satan gets your head, your joy will follow. If he gets in your head, your peace will follow. Your faith will follow. Your confidence will go where he wants it to go because if he can get your head, watch, he can sway your heart. If he can get in your head, he can control what you let in your heart. God has given a spiritual means, he said, through Paul, by which we can pull down strongholds. He's talking about something that's a battle in our mind. Right after that, he says, casting down imaginations. That's Our imagination is in our mind. Bringing into captivity every thought that's in our mind. You have to, and this is what he said, being sure to bring every thought into the captivity to the obedience of Christ. Christ. Christ, Christ is the anointed one or the anointed. That's why you need atmospheres where the anointing is present. Because there's some, you can sit at home and try to fix your own thoughts and, and you can struggle at it. You might get some benefit. You read, you pray. That's all good. And God can touch you. But you need an anointed atmosphere because there's something about being in an anointed atmosphere that'll change something in your mind. It'll change the way you think. Some revelation will come. I mean, chains will begin to break and thoughts will begin to change and say, why did I ever believe that? And why did I ever give that place? And why did I entertain that? Because now I see that's a lie and that's not true and that's deception. That crazy deception can be that crazy to say. Was y'all here Sunday? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, you, you have to bring it back to Christ, back to the anointing. That's why you need environments like this, like Sunday, like Wednesday. That's why you need places where the anointing can flow. Because here's what can happen if we don't. And I know the context of Absalom's story, okay, and I'm not trying to make it into something that's not. But this story... In this story, there's a picture here that speaks volumes about what I've just explained, about what can happen, about the dangers of it. I want you to hear me real quickly. Absalom was the son of the king. Don't bypass that. A child of the king. How many children of the king? And the king had said, do not harm him. Come on, somebody. How many knows that your father cares about you? Your father will defend you. Your father will stand up for you. Come on, somebody. Sometimes even when you ain't done right, even sometimes even when you've messed up, sometimes when even you've blown it, but the king will still stand up for you and say, don't you do nothing to him. He's my child. He's my son. I still got a relationship. I still got a destiny. I still got a future. I still got a calling. I still got something I want him to do. Do not harm him. Deal gently with him, he said. The king, he's the son of a king. Absalom's name means my father is peace. How many knows your heavenly father wants you to walk in peace? Not panic, not fear, not intimidation, not, not disheartenment. He wants you to walk in peace. 
The Bible said in Isaiah 26 and 3, he said, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. So there's the battle. And he said, if you can keep your mind, your head where it needs to be, all of a sudden you are in perfect peace. In the English, in the King James, it's perfect peace. In the Hebrew, it's shalom, shalom. Peace, peace. Shalom, shalom. Double peace. He said, if you can keep your mind on him, he'll keep you in double peace. What's the double peace? It's what Paul said to the believer. He said that if you will trust in him and pray with thanksgiving, make your request known to God, the peace of God that passes all understanding shall keep your what? Heart and mind. Double peace. Double peace double peace. That's not just keeping your mind, it's keeping your heart. His peace will guard your heart. Come on somebody, I I know what it is to be in situations where his peace has guarded my heart, where his peace has guarded my mind. I should have been upset, I should have been terrified, I should have been so worried, I should have fretted, but his peace like, like double soldiers guarding my heart and my mind and said panic cannot come here. Panic is not welcome here. Come on, fear is not welcome here. Intimidation is not welcome here. Come on, somebody. We need peace, peace. We need shalom, shalom. We need it on our heart and our mind. So Absalom, Absalom, his father, his name means my father is peace. His his father wanted them to deal gently with him. Absalom, though, is in a warfare. But the king said, do not harm him. Deal gently with him, watch this, and bring him back alive. Now watch. Absalom is riding a mule. Anybody want to be the mule? No, I'm just kidding. So Absalom, (laughs) we're looking at him now. Uh, (laughs) So Absalom is riding a mule. A mule is a beast of burden. A mule represents the strength to bear. Okay? So he's so far been able to bear. He's so far making a journey. He's so far so good. But he gets to a place where there are these giant oaks, if you will, and, and really the, the language there says the thick boughs or boughs of a great oak. It really means that the branches had so intertwined. And the word in the Hebrew really means thicket. It had become a thicket. Remember Abraham when he went up to sacrifice Isaac and the ram was caught in the thicket by his horn. And so it's get get sort of that as all these branches have intertwined and he and he's going. Now Absalom was known for his hair. And and, and even though it doesn't say hair, it says his head. I, I'm not going I, I'm not going to argue with it. Some way or another when he's right his mule goes under this, his strength hasn't gone under. But when he goes to a certain point, his head gets caught. Sometimes we've had strength to bear up to a certain point. And we get to a certain place of the journey and our head gets caught. Our head gets caught. Our thoughts, our mind, our mentality, things that we'll entertain, and it gets caught in a thicket of, 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 of lies, of, of 
of things that are twisted. Amen. And the Bible said when he was caught by his head that, listen to what it says here. It says, he met the servants. He rode up on the mule. The mule went under the thick boughs of the great oak. His head caught hold of the oak, and he was taken up between the heaven and the earth. He was suspended between heaven and earth. So watch this. He's not grounded, but he's not exactly settled in the heavens. He's not grounded on the earth. He's in no man's land. One person said he's dangling by his head. He's hanging by his head. If you live by every thought that tries to enter your mind, you will, it will hang you. It will leave you hanging. And, and so here is, here is Absalom. And he's, he's suspended between heaven and earth. He is in between. He is in no man's land. He's not grounded in reality, nor is he established in the head. He is hanging by his head. He is hanging by his thoughts. And as he hangs there, watch. Here's what happens. As he hangs there, the Bible uses two words. It says, and the mule that he was on went away. The mule was what? His strength to bear. And as he's hanging by his head, his strength disappears. He loses his strength because his head got in the wrong place. When your head gets in the wrong place, it'll sap your strength. It'll take your strength. You cannot withstand. You can't stay grounded. You can't stay firmly planted. And you cannot soar in the heavens. You will hang by your head. And your strength, your ability to bear, your ability to withstand will be removed. It'll go away. It went away, the Bible says. But not only that, here's, here's the, probably the worst part. Because when you get your head, your mind, your thoughts. Everybody with me? You know what I'm talking about, about hanging by your head? Your thoughts get all crazy. You know. And, and, and now what's bad is this. When you get your head, your mind, your thoughts caught in a circumstance, in a thicket. Things that get twisted around and the enemy's tried to wrap up your head. What happens is when you get your head caught in a circumstance, it makes your heart vulnerable. It makes your heart vulnerable. I know what I'm talking about. I know what I'm talking about. Do you see it? You'll lose your strength. The mule. Well, where? Anyway. You, the, the mule. You'll lose, your, you'll lose your ability to fight. You'll lose your ability to stand. You'll lose your ability to defend yourself. He's hanging there by his head. His feet's not touching the ground. He's not, he's not seated anywhere. He's not standing anywhere. He's not seated in the heavens. He's not standing on firm ground. He's dangling by his head. He's, and now his heart is vulnerable. And your heart becomes vulnerable to deadly devastation. And the Bible says that a man saw it and he told Joab. And Joab said, why didn't you kill him? He said, because the king said not to harm him. And Joab, and I get it, and I, I don't want to make this into something that it's not because I know that Absalom was in rebellion and all that, but there's principles here that he did not heed and obey the king's words. Okay? Do not think that you know better than the king. <laughs> and, and, and so what? Joab says, I ain't got time to listen to you and your excuses. 
I'm going to go find him. And he goes and he finds and he sees Absalom hanging there by his head. And he's now exposed and, he, and he's an easy target. And all of a sudden, the Bible said he takes three darts and three darts. And he takes and he thrusts them through Absalom's heart. Because now that he's hanging by his head, his heart is vulnerable. Going somewhere. Going somewhere. Don't, don't jump off the bus. I believe there is a modern day spirit of Joab who even though the king has said do not harm them, there is a spirit that is ready to kill you and destroy you. Joab took three darts, thrust them through the heart of Absalom and that Joab spirit will do the same thing to you and I when your head gets caught in a thick. Can I talk about these darts a minute? Thank you, I will. I was going to anyway. <laughs> three, three, three deadly darts. And, 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 of course, you could name them almost anything, but these are the three that, that God put on my heart. First dart is the dart of disappointment. The dart of disappointment. Did you know that a disappointment, this is what the definition is, a disappointment is a sadness caused by the non-fulfillment of a hope or expectation. A sadness that comes when a hope or expectation that you had seems to be unfulfilled, non-fulfilled. In other words, I had a hope, I had a dream, I had a belief, I had an expectation of something happening. And when I believed that something was going to happen, usually it's connected to a time frame that I believe it's going to happen in. And usually not only do I believe it's going to happen and believe it's going to happen at a certain time, I also can form a method by which I think God is going to do it. And when God does not do what I thought he was going to do, how I thought he was going to do it, when I thought he was going to do it, and I in my own heart and mind have made an appointment, but now he has not done that, I feel a my appointment has been dissed. And I have a dissed appointment. That God has bypassed me and God has not kept the appointment. And it's a dis. Appointment. Amen. In other words, in our minds, we've set an appointment. And when it's not fulfilled, we feel the appointment is this. So we have a disappointment. We feel like our appointment with deliverance has been canceled. And disappointment, watch, disappointment is not just a mind battle. It is a heart issue. He comes after your heart. Amen. The Bible says this, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Not the head, the heart. So when the enemy can try to diss your appointment, when he can try to disappoint you, how many knows that when that happens, everybody's been disappointed? Everybody's been disappointed. But the enemy will magnify it like it's the worst thing ever. We watch our, we watch our little nephew, little Oliver. He ain't so little now, about as big as I am. Be seven in April. And every now and then something don't go his way. And he's got this little saying. And he'll say, oh, worst day ever. Man, 
there's times he says that and I'm like, you know, God, I ain't said that out loud. But there's been times in my heart and mind that I've been like, God, worst day ever. And I've really thought that at times until something else happened. And I say, God, I was wrong, but this time I'm not wrong. Worst day ever. Until something else. Anyway, y'all get the picture. And, and, and so hope deferred makes the heart sick and will make you think this is the worst thing that could ever happen to anybody. That's what the enemy will tell you. This is the most unfair. Amen. And it pierces your heart. I'm talking about deadly darts when you're hanging by your head. When your thoughts get all crazy and in the thicket and your heart becomes vulnerable, he'll hit you with the dart of disappointment. And if he hits you with the dart of disappointment, there's a second dart he'll follow up with, and it's this. It's the, it's the dart of discouragement. Think about it. Discourage. If disappointment is the dissing of an appointment, discouragement is the dissing of your courage. When you are disappointed, especially if it happens repeatedly or if it's deep enough after so long, you begin to lack the courage required to believe again. You can't bring yourself to risk putting everything on the line to trust God and believe God. You don't have the courage. It's not that you don't want to. It's not that you deep down don't really believe that God is faithful and true but you just I can't risk it all I gotta have a safety net I gotta have a plan B I can't put everything I, I don't have my courage it's a heart it's a heart issue and, and, and so so you, you can't put yourself out there again you see it takes a lot sometimes to believe God but it takes even more to believe God after a disappointment or in the midst of a disappointment where do I find the courage? This is a devilish dart that can pierce your heart. Sometimes we don't have an encourager. David in 1 Samuel 30, you know the story. The Amalekites had come in and burned Ziklag with fire and taken the women and children captives. And when David and his men came back, saw that everything was on fire, reduced to ashes, their women and children had been taken captives. They come back and the Bible said the men... Of, 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 that was with David, they wept till they had no more power to weep and they were angry and upset with David and spake of stoning him because they were grieved. They had been disappointed. They were discouraged and even David was. But the Bible says, but David encouraged himself in the Lord. At some point in your Christian walk, you'll have to learn how to encourage yourself in the Lord. You will have to learn how to recapture your courage. I read a story about, about Martin Luther. Lived in the 1500s. You remember? Many of you probably heard. You may not know a whole lot about it, but but we owe a lot to Martin Luther about the revelation of salvation by the blood alone. I mean, it started the Protestant Reformation, and I mean that's I mean because up until then they they believed the Catholic Church was selling indulgences, which basically was if you pay us enough, we'll pray your dead loved one into heaven. And 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 Luther got to reading the Bible for himself, and he's like, that's just not true. That's just not true. 
where do they get this? This ain't, this ain't in there. He said, wait a minute. Justification by faith alone, just by believing in the blood of Jesus. He's like, this is what? And so he wrote the 95 Thesis, and he nailed them to the door of the church in Wittenberg. And, and, and so, so at that time, it's great. It was this wonderful, I mean, to have that revelation. But what many people don't know is, is when Luther did that, he went through extreme ostracism. I mean, they, they weren't. The, 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 the Catholic Church wasn't happy with him. He was forsaken by almost all of his friends. The Pope, the Pope even wanted to kill him. He did. He wanted to kill him. Take this Luther out. He's, he's bad for business. Amen. And one day, Luther had been moping, sorrowful, in this sad stupor. Eeyore. And, 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 and he's walking around the house like that and just moping around. And one day, his wife got up and, and put on a grief garment, a, a, a bereavement dress, her funeral clothes. And, and Luther saw it, and he said, what are you doing? She said, I'm going to a funeral. And he said, a funeral? Whose funeral? And she said, God's funeral. And he, he got mad. God's funeral? Who told you? God, and she, he thought that she was mocking him and, and turning against him and, and, and had backslidden and just giving up. The, I'm going to God's funeral because this couldn't be God. And, and, and he said, who told you? God's she said, by the way you've been moping around this house, I thought surely you must have heard that God had died. And at that moment, Luther was convicted, fell on his knees and repented and said, God, I'm sorry. Listen, friend, God is not dead. Disappointment comes. Discouragement will try to come. But God is not dead. He's not forsaken you. He's not abandoned you. He has not left you. Come on, somebody. Our God is alive and well. He's not sick. He's not injured. He's not deteriorating. He is strong. He is mighty. He is all-powerful. And I fear that sometimes the way we can droop around, <laughs> what do we believe about the status of our God? Listen, friend, God is not dead. He may not have done what you thought he ought to do, when you thought he ought to do it, and the way you thought he should have done it, but God is alive and well. And you better learn how to take that truth and encourage yourself. I don't know about this. I don't know about that. I don't have answers to everything, but you know what? God's still alive. And if you don't do that, your heart is going to suffer. The dart of disappointment, the dart of discouragement. And if you, if you don't deal with that dart, you're vulnerable to the third dart. And it's the dart of despair. The dart of despair. Despair is the point of totally losing hope and giving up. It's the point of hitting rock bottom, absolute rock bottom. It can become a place where we panic, where, where, where we suppose that we have been isolated, where we believe that God has completely abandoned us and forsaken us. And I got to hurry, but I love what the Apostle Paul said. The Apostle Paul said, we are troubled on every side, but not distressed. Listen to what he said. We are perplexed, confused, bewildered, 
We don't have all the answers, things I don't know about. He said, we are perplexed, but we are not in despair. We are not in this. We will not live in despair. He said, listen, guys, I don't have all the answers. I don't understand why things happen. I don't understand the way things go. But here's what I have decided, Paul said. I will not live in despair. I will guard my heart. I will protect my heart. I'm going to trust in God, and I'm going to believe him to get me through. We don't understand everything. We don't have all the answers, but we will not live in despair. So watch, Absalom is dangling, dangling by his head. He gets shot through three darts. And then the Bible says something even more amazing. Here's why you got to deal with those darts and protect your heart. It says that, that, that he thrust him through his heart while he was yet alive in the midst of the oak. And ten young men that bear Joab's armor, his armor bearers, ten of them, compassed about and smote Absalom. And so, in other words, made sure that he was dead. So here's these ten. See, this is the thing. If you dangle there and you're, you're left there and you're hanging there and these darts begin to hit you, the enemy will not just want you to suffer. He'll come to try to finish you off. Finish you off. Take you completely out. And I want to tell you, it said that they come and they, and they smote him. Not, not just, it said they smote him and slew him. When it said they smote him, that word means that they hit and they punched and they beat him. I want to tell you something. I mean this. I am sick and tired of God's people being used for the devil's punching bag. I am so tired of that. I am tired of people whom the enemy has just wore down. I'm not, I'm not condemning. I'm saying that I just, I just, I mean, I, I hate to see people in a condition and a position where the enemy just is jabbing and jabbing and punching and kicking and hitting and just bruising them and wounding them. And, and, and there should be something in those of us around people like that that would rise up and say, no, 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 no. You're not going to have free access to them. We're going to surround these people. Come on, we're going to get around these people and we're going to fight back and we're going to make sure that they're not killed and they're not going to die, that this doesn't take them out. Come on. And, and so I'm tired. I'm tired of people. I'm tired of people being used as a punching bag. And then, then it says this. I got to hurry. It, it says this. And Joab, and Joab blew the trumpet. Joab blew the trumpet. Now I know that Absalom died. Okay. And and, and no no type, no shadow, no picture of the of the Bible is perfect. Okay. I know he died. But Joab blew the trumpet to basically say, y'all don't have to worry anymore. Because we've, we, we, we've settled this. We've, we've accomplished this. It's been fulfilled. It's over. And I want to tell you that, 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 that the enemy, I really believe, I, I sense the Lord even stir me in this, that the enemy, it's as if he has been rehearsing his trumpet blast over some of you. Right. Trying to signal your demise. Trying to signal that it's over, that your battle is over, that your life is over, that your circumstance will get the better of you. But I come in this house tonight to tell the devil, you better put that trumpet back in its case, slide it up under the bed or put it in the closet because there is a spirit that is rising up tonight that says we will not bow, we will not yield, we will not give up, we will not despair, we will not be discouraged, we will not let disappointment take us out, we will rise up and we will fight and we will war and we will do battle and we will wage war until victory comes.
There'll be no defeat today. There'll be no defeat today. Your head may have been what? I got, I got to hurry. Paul, you better come because if, if not, I'm going to preach and preach and preach and preach. Your, 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 watch, watch, watch. There, there'll be no defeat today. Your head may have been caught in a tree. Now, I want you to hear me. Your head may have been caught in a tree in a circumstance, in the twistedness, thickness. The Lord said, I want you to tell them this. That even though I understand what happened here. But he said, even though your head may have been caught in a tree, he said, today you can get loose because there's already been a man that hung on a tree in your place. When Jesus hung on the tree, it was ultimate defeat for the enemy and ultimate victory for his people. And if you and I can keep our eyes on the victory that Jesus wrought at Calvary, if we understand what he really did there, then we don't have to let our head get caught in a circumstance. We don't have to let our head get caught and dangle by our head and by our thoughts. But we can take our stand and we can be loosed and liberated because somebody has already hung on a tree for us. And you know what I like about Jesus? I love many things about Jesus. But one of the things I love most about Jesus is he will not leave me hanging. He will not leave me hanging. Because he's already hung for me. See, Judas hung himself. Because he didn't realize that Jesus was hanging for him. He lost hope. His heart was exposed. Disappointed. Discouraged. Despair. Hung himself on a tree. Because he didn't realize that Jesus was the one that was going to hang on the tree for him. My prayer and my hope is that tonight, that whatever you're dealing with, whatever circumstance has tried to twist itself around your head and suspend you to where you're not, you're not, you can't seem to get your footing and you can't seem to get established in the spirit realm in the heavens and you're just kind of in between. My hope is that you understand that you don't have to hang that Jesus already hung. That he already paid the price for what you need done. That he already has accomplished the work. Get your head out of the thicket. Because if you don't, it's going to expose your heart. Paul said to the Colossians, I've got to quit. He said, set your mind on things above, not on things beneath. And here's what I want to tell somebody tonight. I know it's simple. But I asked God, I said, but God, where, where do you want this to go? Where do you want this to conclude? And this is what he told me, two lines. He said, I want you to tell somebody this. It's going to be okay. I'm telling you. It's going 
to be okay. The second thing was you are going to make it. It is going to be okay. I, I want you to stand with me, and I want us to say this. I want us to say this. I want, I want you to muster what courage. Maybe, maybe you find it hard to believe. Maybe you find it hard to declare this and proclaim this. I want you to muster what faith and confidence you can in God. Not, not because I'm just telling you. I mean in God. Your God who is true. Your God who is hung on a tree for you. So that you don't have to be left hanging. So that you can get your head free. Your mind free. So your heart can be guarded and protected. And I want you to... Get that courage back. I want you to say this out loud with me. Are you ready? I want you to say this. I am going to make it. Can you say it? I am going to make it. And now say this. I am going to be okay. Can we say it? I am going to be okay. Turn to your neighbor there. Turn to your neighbor there and just tell them you are going to make it. You are going to make it. You are going to to be okay. You are going to come through this. You are going to come out of this. You will not hang. The Lord will not leave you hanging. He has hung for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, Father, I ask you tonight that you would move in this time. Father, I know how the enemy plays on our hearts and our minds, how he wants to leave us hanging, how he wants us exposed. But, Father, tonight I call him out. Tonight, Lord, you've exposed. God, help us to put our mind on things above, not on things beneath. And help us to realize that you've not left us hanging. We can have our feet firmly planted on the ground of your promises and your word. Lord, we can know that your word is forever settled in heaven. So Father, I'm asking you to move tonight. And Father, as we enter into this time of prayer, I pray for a release. I pray that somebody's mentality be changed. I pray that they go from doubt to faith, from fear to expectation. I pray that they can they can move from panic to peace. I pray that, God, you would so change them that they walk out of here different than they, than they came in. And Father, I believe for healing, for miracles, for deliverance to manifest in this house. Father, we're going to do it. We're going to pray. But, God, first we want to do our business with you. So, God, if there's somebody here that, Lord, they need this. They need to respond. Let me, let me can, I, can I just feel a nudge in this? If you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus, the enemy will try to wrap your thoughts around the thought of you don't need that, it's not for you, or maybe, you know, it's for somebody else, or maybe you're not good enough, or whatever. But when Jesus died on the cross, he died for you. He hung for you, so you don't have to be hung up on thoughts of inadequacy or, or unworthiness or, or even that that's not for you. I'm telling you, it is for you. Jesus died for everybody, for the whole world, including you. And I, 
I pray and I hope and, and I desire tonight that you understand that and that you'll, in your mind, your, your head gets loose and you know that in your heart that the Lord Jesus loves you. Are you here tonight? You don't know Jesus? As you say, i got to do this really quickly. Don't have a relationship with God. You don't have to understand everything. You don't have to know everything. But you say, I don't, I don't have a relationship with him. But tonight, I want to make the move. Tonight, tonight, my head has been loosed. I realize Jesus hung on the tree in my place. Tonight, I accept him and what he did. Are you here tonight? And that's you. And you just slip your hand up and say, Brother Keith, would you pray for anybody in this building? Just got to offer it. Got to offer it. Anybody in this building? Anybody? Amen.